in this, God, for Mark, for this church, and for specifically, Lord, what you're going to do today. Mm -hmm. God, we thank you and praise you. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, church. So good to see everybody today. Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be in the house of God? It's so good to be here with brothers and sisters. So much to be thankful for. I've been so excited to come and be with you all. Um, it is really cool to just see what God has done in and through this congregation and continues to. I mean, I walked in. I, I don't know most of you. And, and Matt, I think that is a good thing, actually, uh, although I'd love to get to know you. So praise God for what he's doing. Aren't you thankful, church, for what God is doing in your life and in this church? I mean, we should be so thankful uh, because it's all his grace. It's all God's grace. And this morning is a really special day because we're celebrating the ordination of Scott Johnson to pastoral ministry. And, and uh, if you don't know what that is, it's simply this. God raises up leaders and pastors to shepherd his people. And what I know is, is you have been really blessed to have Matt Witt as a pastor elder in this church. Would you agree? Amen? Amen. Yeah, give it up for Matt. Encourage him. And now by God's grace, uh, the Lord has raised up and brought here to La Junta Scott Johnson to serve as a second pastor elder in this congregation. I know you know him and you love him, but this is a really special day in Scott's life. And so it's a privilege to be here and just be part of it. You know, growing up, my favorite basketball player was Michael Jordan. How many of you heard of Michael Jordan? Please tell me. Okay, good, good. There's debate as to whether Michael Jordan is the greatest player ever, and I will just end the debate and tell you, he's the greatest player ever. He's the greatest player of all time. We can talk over potluck later, but um, Michael Jordan, if you don't know, played for the Chicago Bulls and um, just had an incredible career. But one of the things that I've always been amazed at about Michael Jordan, and I would say really about any elite athlete, was Jordan's commitment, really his obsession with the fundamentals, the fundamentals of the game of basketball. In fact, he once wrote this. He said, you can practice shooting baskets eight hours a day, but if your technique is wrong, then all you become is very good at shooting the wrong way. <laughs> Get the fundamentals down, and the level of everything you do will rise. And Michael Jordan was totally right. Mastering the fundamentals is key to being a great basketball player. Mastering the fundamentals, as you all know, is key to really becoming great at anything in life. And that includes pastoral ministry. Mastering the fundamentals is key to becoming a great pastor. And so of all the things that a pastor has to do, and there's so many things a pastor can do in a church, you know that? There's so many things. There are a few things that pastors must get right. There are a few fundamental things that we are called to in the Word of God to be faithful to, and I just call these the fundamentals of pastoral ministry. And so this morning, I want to spend some time talking to Scott specifically, but this applies to all of us. It really does, about what it means to be committed to the fundamentals of ministry. What does that look like? What, what does that look like in our lives? And so there's two fundamentals in particular I want to spend some time looking at. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. <clears throat> We're going to look at some supplemental verses, but this is going to be our main verse that I'm going to work through this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. And so um, 
Do you guys have pew Bibles? Are there pew Bibles? If somebody has it, shout out the name of the page maybe, if that would help. And if not, no worries. Okay, it's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Now, let me just give you a little context of what is going on in this letter of 1 Timothy, okay? The Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy is this young pastor. Paul has been like a mentor to him, right? And so he's writing this letter to Timothy, and it's basically like, look, Timothy, there are a lot of things in ministry to do, but there are a few things that you, you really must get right. These are the fundamental things that are important to being a biblical pastor. And so we come to verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, and Paul kind of gives them to us in a very clear, concise way. And so he writes this. Let me read it. 1 Timothy 4, 16. He says, keep a close watch. Everybody say close watch. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by, doing, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, in this one short verse, we come face to face with the great weight and the joy of pastoral ministry, of being a pastor. And there's two fundamentals that we see at the very beginning of this verse. And so again, while my focus is, is on pastoral ministry, and I'm thinking of Scott in particular, it applies to all of us. Here's the first fundamental, and I think these will come up on the screen. If you can't read it, I'll tell you what it is, depending on your vision. Fundamental number one is keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself. That's the first thing that Paul says. Now, when he says keep a close watch on yourself, what exactly does he mean? I think he has in mind, based on other teachings, at least three things. Okay, number one is this. Keep a close watch on your walk with God. Keep a close watch on your walk with God. Scott, nothing is more important in ministry than your relationship with Jesus. Nothing. Nothing's more important than cultivating that relationship and your love for him over the years of your life. <clears throat> years ago, I had a mentor who told me, he said, Mark, remember this in ministry. You teach what you know, you reproduce who you are. In other words, you, you can know a lot of stuff and you can teach a lot of stuff. That doesn't necessarily bring transformation. What God's looking for are godly men who will love the Lord with humility and love God's people. And as you grow as a joyful, passionate disciple, guess what? You will make other joyful, passionate disciples because you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And so Jesus, friends, this is true for all of us, must be the number one pursuit in our life. More than our job, more than anything else, any other relationship, Jesus is our number one pursuit. He must be our number one treasure. Now, we might say with Paul, who wrote this in Philippians 1.21, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was a man who loved Jesus. We're called to love him in the same way. The truth is this. It is impossible to serve as a faithful minister of the gospel apart from the power of Christ. It's absolutely impossible. Listen, you can have all the the, the gifting in the world. You can have all the charisma, the personality. You can have all the education. You can have all the passion. But I'm telling you this, without the power of Christ, you have nothing. <laughs> you have nothing in ministry. And this is why in John 15, 5, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, 
you are the what? The branches, that's right. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, thanks bud, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then check this out. For apart from me, you can play the harmonica. No. (laughs) For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And guess what he means? Nothing means nothing. (laughs) Nothing means nothing. What we think we accomplish apart from the power of Christ is really not an accomplishment at all. And so Jesus says to abide in him day by day. He is the vine. We are the branches. And and Scott, here's the truth, brother. As you abide in Christ, he will bear much fruit in you and through you for his glory. For his glory. He will do this. He's the power. And so that's why I would say, protect your time with him. And I say that to all of us. Protect your time with the Lord. Your time just with him in his word, in prayer. Never feel bad about spending extra time to fill your soul up with Jesus so that you can fill up the souls of others. The truth is, you give what you have. And if you don't have anything to give, you're not giving much of anything good. And what we need to give is Christ. And so we need Christ. So again, that's number one. Keep a close watch on your walk with God. Here's number two. Keep a close watch on your marriage and family. Keep a close watch on your marriage and family. For a biblical pastor, our number one ministry is actually not in the church building, it's at home. (laughs) That's what the scriptures teach. The Lord calls us to pour into our wives and our kids before we pour into anyone else. And that's because our families are our primary ministry flock. Now, practically, this looks different in different seasons of people's lives and in, in pastors' lives. So, Scott, for you now, well, your daughters are grown up and out of the house. But guess who's not? Your sweet wife. Your sweet wife. And Sherry, is she a blessing? She is such a blessing. Can we just encourage her? Man, we love her. Such a humble servant. And uh, I've been blessed the last few days staying at their home. But what I would say is, is, Scott, your number one ministry is to encourage her and to love her and to serve her. As by God's grace, to love her as Christ loves the church. And there's no perfect husband, but to daily lay ourselves down to love our wives. That's the heart of a true pastor is loving their family. So that's number two. Here's the third thing I want to say. It means keep a close watch on your ministry, on your ministry. So keep a close watch on yourself means keep a close watch on your walk with God, keep a close watch on your marriage and family, and keep a close watch on your ministry. Here's what I mean by that. I am convinced, I've been in ministry for 25 years, and there is no greater joy and there's no greater challenge than being a pastor in the local church. No greater joy, but no greater challenge. And one of the reasons why ministry can be such a challenge for so many pastors is because of two potential ditches that we can easily fall into as pastors. Okay, let me tell you what these two ditches are. Ditch number one is spending way too much time and energy on your ministry, okay? And by the way, this is, this is true for all of us, guys. This is true for everybody in here. And, and this is, you know, here's the thing about ministry. The needs never stop. You know that? 
There's always another person to visit in the hospital, another text message to send, another phone call to make. There's always another sermon to preach and another class to teach and another program event to lead, and it never ends. For pastors, man, it never ends. This is why so many pastors burn out. You know that? And I can tell you, since COVID, if you don't know this, we've seen a higher percentage of pastors leave the ministry than ever before in history. And I think it's because so many pastors are just so worn down. And I'm going to talk in a few minutes about how you as a church can encourage your pastors so that they don't burn out. But I will say this, this is one of those ditches that you've got to be aware of. And here's what we got to remember. Jesus is the true pastor of this church, not Matt and not Scott. (laughs) And that should cause you to breathe a little bit (laughs) and remember that. The problem is there's another ditch. And the other ditch in life, say you're not somebody who's prone to like going, going, going and doing, doing, doing and serving, serving, serving. The other ditch is the ditch of laziness, the ditch of not giving the time and attention to ministry that you should give to it. You get busy and distracted by a million other things, and so what happens is your ministry suffers and people suffer as a result. And so depending on our personalities, oftentimes we, we either kind of drift toward one or the other of these ditches, and it's something we just need to be aware of, and it's something we need to be humble about, and this is why we need godly people in our lives who identify, man, you know what, I'm really concerned about how much time and energy you're you're giving yourself right now, it's killing you. Or the other extreme of what's going on that you don't seem as focused on the church as you should be. Does that make sense? And so these are two ditches we need to be aware of. Listen, Scott, above all, when we think about watching your ministry closely, here's what I want you to hear. <clears throat> and here's what I want all of us to hear. Your ministry is ultimately God's ministry. It's not yours. <laughs> This is God's ministry through you. It's God's ministry through you. He has gifted you for his purposes. He has called you to this awesome church for his purposes. But ultimately, it's the Lord who holds you and holds this church and holds every person in this church in the palm of his hands. He's the savior of this church. And so this reality should cause every one of us, and particularly pastors, to worry less and rejoice a whole lot more. You know what I mean? To worry less and rejoice a whole lot more because God is in control, amen? Amen. God is in control and the fruit of our ministry is completely up to him. He calls us to be faithful. He's the one who produces the fruit, whatever that looks like. Praise be to God. So that's fundamental number one, okay? Fundamental number one is keep a close watch on yourself. But there's a second fundamental that we see in this verse from 1 Timothy 4, 16, and it's this. Keep a close watch on the teaching. Keep a close watch on the teaching. Everybody look again at 1 Timothy 4, 16. So notice what Paul says. He says, keep a close watch on yourself, but he doesn't end there. Then he says, and, and on the teaching. Now, it's an interesting phrase. You might be like, well, what is the teaching, what exactly does that even mean? What's the teaching? Well, this phrase for the teaching can also be translated as sound doctrine, okay? Sound doctrine. And what that simply means is this. Paul's saying, make sure if you're going to be a pastor, that you teach the truth of God's Word rightly and accurately. 
rightly and accurately. This is why in James, James says, not many of you should want to be a pastor. <laughs> not many of you should want to be a preacher of the word. Because we, have, we carry a weight and a responsibility for everybody in this church, in my church back in Inglewood, to teach the truth. That's why when you're looking for a church, the number one thing is looking for a pastor who is committed to the word of God. Not being cool, not being funny. They're committed to the word. They're committed to the truth of God's word. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that. He's encouraging you, Scott, and he's encouraging Matt. He's saying, look, you guys, you are the primary overseers of this flock at Calvary La Junta. And the Lord has called you to accurately and faithfully teach and preach his word to these people. Now, one of the things I love about both Matt and Scott when we come to this point is I know how seriously they take what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know how seriously they take their responsibility to preach and teach the word of God. One thing I know, I can't speak for every church in La Junta. What I know about Calvary and La Junta is Calvary La Junta loves the Bible. <laughs> Calvary La Junta loves the word of God, amen? And Calvary La Junta is led by pastors who love the word of God because we want God to be glorified and we want lives to be changed for real and that only happens to the power of the word of God. In fact, let me just show us a few passages, and I don't know if these will come up. They will. I think they're going to come up. Um, listen to some of these passages on the importance of what I'm talking about in the scriptures, of how important it is to teach and preach the word of God faithfully. So Titus 1.9 says this. He's talking about pastors. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Listen to 2 Timothy 4.3 and 4. For the time is coming, now listen to this, this, is, is, this, he, this was written 2,000 years ago. It could be describing exactly our culture today. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They don't want it. They don't like it. Or they, they like parts of it, but it's like, man, I don't really like this piece. Can we cut that out? And that shouldn't shock us. It's for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. In a day like ours, how more than ever do we need the rock-solid truth of Scripture to confront our wrong ideas? Listen, friends, all of us, we are listening to the world all the time. There's so many voices between technology and TV, whatever it is. Um, how are we making sure we're hearing the truth of God's voice in the midst of all these other voices? Through his word. Through his word. It's not a feeling. I don't know. I think God, no. He said, I'm going to give you my word to be really clear. And this is what his word tells us. He says, look, you need to be on guard. You need to be on guard. I don't care how good some of these ideas sound and how they make you feel. If they're in contradiction to God and his truth, they are not good and they're not good for you as much as you might think they are. 1 Timothy 6, 3, and 3 through 5, listen to this. 
if anyone teaches, Paul says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, if anyone teaches anything that's contradictory to Christ's words and, and the word, um, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. He's describing false teachers and false uh, preachers of the Word, and we have a lot of them in our culture. And then finally, listen to Jude 1.3. Says, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you. So he's writing to a church. He could be writing to Calvary Lahana, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That was once for all delivered to the saints. God is faithful, and God has been faithful to give us the truth the unchanging truth from the beginning of time to this day. And he's captured it in his word primarily. And so we need to be committed to the word of God. And so pastor, elder, watch yourself, watch your life, and watch your doctrine closely. That's what Paul is saying, and he's saying it to me as well. Those are the two fundamentals we see in 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on the teaching. But notice Paul's not done with the verse yet. Look where he goes next. Again, 1 Timothy 4, 16, he says this. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And then look at the next three words. He says, persist in this. Everybody say that. Persist in this. That's right. Persist in this. Paul's saying this. He's saying, Timothy, persist in this. Persist in keeping a close watch on your life and on your teaching. In other words, persevere in these two things, Timothy. Persevere in these two things, Scott. Through the ups and the downs and the joys and the sorrows and the mountaintops and the valleys of life that we all go through and of ministry, the pastor's experience all the time, he's saying cling to Christ, trust in God, trust in his sovereignty, and don't give up. He's saying don't give up. Persevere in your faith persevere in your faithfulness to the Word of God, even when everyone else mocks you, even when else thinks you're just a weirdo because you follow this Jesus. That's okay. It's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. The sheep, you know that we read from Ezekiel? Do you notice that? You know what he's talking about? God's going to save his sheep. <laughs> God's going to save his sheep. And if you're here today and you're saved, you know because he opened your eyes to your sin and your need for a Savior. And that's why when you sing, you sing with joy because you know where he's brought you from. He know, you know he saved you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, the Lord's calling you to come to him, that you might be saved. That's why Jesus died, to set you free, to forgive you of your sin, to give you eternal life that begins right now. That's the gospel of grace. Listen, Scott, when ministry is hard, when you're discouraged, you run to the word. And you remember passages, one that came to my mind was Galatians 6, 9. This is such a hopeful verse. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Because you can get tired, right? You go, why are we doing this? What's the point? Isn't it making any impact? Are lives being changed at all? You ever felt that way? He's saying, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season 
we will reap if we do not give up. That's the promise of God because God's going to do that. And so, Scott, I believe this. I believe Paul would say to you, I was thinking if he were here this morning, I think above all else, here's what Paul would say. He'd say, listen, no matter what comes, don't grow weary, brother. Don't grow weary and don't give up. Persist in this. Persevere in this calling that the Lord has placed on your life. And then notice that Paul tells us why this persisting, this perseverance is so important in ministry. Look at the last part of 1 Timothy 4.16. The last part of 1 Timothy 4.16 says this, persist in this for by so doing, so if you do this, in other words, doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Like that is a weighty phrase, Okay. <laughs> Paul says, listen, when you persevere in the fundamentals of watching your life and doctrine closely, the Lord will use you to save both yourself and your hearers. Listen, the stakes could not be any higher. We're talking the eternity of souls is at stake. And this is weighty, and it should feel weighty to pastors. That's why I'd say, listen, if you're a pastor, you want to be a pastor, and you don't feel the weight of souls, go do something else with your life, man. (laughs) But pastors need to feel the weight because this is the truth. At the same time, here's what we must never forget. While God chooses in his plan to use pastors in a powerful way to preach the truth, to shepherd his people, here's what we can't ever forget. The Lord alone saves, amen? The Lord saves. God saves. We can't save anybody. It's the Lord who will save you, Scott. It's the Lord who will save the sheep that you are called to shepherd. Only the Lord saves. And this should cause us great joy, friends. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. This will come up, I think. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Will it come up or no? No worries if not. Let me read it. You've probably heard it before, but I want you to really hear it. For by grace you have been what? Saved. For by grace you have been saved. I've never sung that song. That song was unbelievable. What was the ver- something about the, the grace pouring over me? You guys remember? We just sang it. Our memories are short, aren't they? Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new life. It begins with you. That's unbelievable. That's the truth of the gospel, man. That's what God does. He's in the business of transforming us, and he does it by his grace that washes over us and over us and over us. It is not your works that saves you. It's not about you being a really good person that impresses God so that he'll make you, he'll let you into heaven. It's about falling on your face and saying, I'm not good. I am not worthy, but Lord Jesus, you are. Take my life. Save me, Lord Jesus. And he does by grace. It's the mystery of the gospel. It's the mystery of the gospel. And that's what we have to cling to in ministry. Because if we get that messed up, we start thinking we're the ones who have to save people, you will not only get incredibly discouraged, you'll burn out. You'll get depressed, I promise you. But when you remember God saves, I'm called to just preach this truth, and the Lord by his spirit saves. Man, that gives us great hope. So Scott, let me just say this. Let me encourage you, and I'm going to charge you. Charge you with this verse, 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your 
hearers. May that verse be a bedrock for you in your life. Now, I'm gonna, I want to spend a couple more minutes, and I'm, I'm moving away from you, and I'm looking to everybody else in the room, okay? Because here's the truth. For a church to be healthy, for a church to be what God wants it to be, pastor elders have a really important role, but so does the congregation. <laughs> so do all of you. You have a huge role in this whole deal. I've seen many great pastors who serve congregations that, that don't care for them well, don't love their families well, and guess what? It sends them right out of ministry. Friends, it's a partnership for the church to work the way God designed it. And so, listen to this verse, Hebrews 13, 17. I want you to just see this. This is, this is powerful. This gives us a picture of what God wants to see in the church. And he's writing to believers, okay? And he says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to, who will have to give an account. So you face that? So he's saying, listen, people, I'm going to place, God's going to place leaders in your life, pastors in your life, for you to follow and you to learn from and you to listen to. And who, by the way, have to give an account for your souls. You feel that? That's one we feel as pastors. And so then he goes on, he says, let them do this with, everybody say joy. Joy. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You don't want a groaning pastor, trust me. Oh, these sheep, these people. Do I have to go to that building again? You don't want that pastor, man. You want a joyful pastor, amen? You want an encouraged pastor. That's what you want. And that's what God wants to produce in this. So the question is, how do you fuel their joy? How do you as a congregation fuel the joy of your pastors? Now, this is fun for me as another pastor coming in because I'm going to tell you some things they're never going to tell you. <coughs> and they're never going to tell you <coughs> because they're really humble men of God. And they love you so much. But I want to come in as an encouragement to the church. And even though they're in the room, I'm kind of going, hey, guys, here's how you can love them really well, okay? That's what we're going to do. And I want to share five things. Five things, and these are five ways that you can care for and support your pastor elders as a church, okay? To make this church, to help this church be the most encouraging and loving and life-filled uh, church that it can be. Here's number one, pray for them consistently. Pray for them consistently. And you might say, well, yeah, that's a given, and we should pray for your, no, listen, do you really pray for them? <laughs> do you really pray for them? And pray for them consistently. If you need a reminder, man, just get your phone out. Put like a, a reminder every day. Pray for my pastors. They need your prayers. Because God answers prayer. God uses prayer in powerful ways. And so pray for them consistently. Well, what do I pray for them about? Let me give you four things to pray for them. Number one, pray for strength when they feel weak. <laughs> when they feel weak, pray for strength. Here's the second thing. Pray for hope for the times when they're discouraged. You can get really discouraged as a pastor and pray, oh Lord, would you give my pastors hope? Would you lift their eyes and remember who you are, God, that you've got this church? Here's the third thing. Pray for protection from the enemy. You know, we have a real enemy. Satan is not just some made-up fairy tale. Like, Satan's real. And Satan desires to take these two guys out. Pray for protection. That when lies come at them like darts, that they would run to the word and God would protect their minds with the truth of the word of God. 
And then the fourth thing is pray for their joy. Pray for their joy in the Lord, their joy in their marriage and their family, for their joy. There's nothing more powerful than joy from the Spirit in the face of trials. Number two, here's the second thing. Second way to care for and support them. Number two, encourage them with your words regularly. Encourage them with your words regularly. Let me tell you something about encouragement. Nobody has ever been over-encouraged. You know that? Listen, there's far more discouragement than encouragement in our world. Would you agree? Here's part of the problem. I think there's a lot of people who want to be encouragers. The problem is they never move it from an encouraging thought to an encouraging word. Does this make sense? Like, listen, how many times do you have encouraging thoughts about people? And that's great. The problem is they're not blessed by your thought. You know what I mean? They're only blessed when that thought becomes a word, right? So, like, I could say, like, where's Betsy? There's Betsy. Betsy Witt. I could say, uh, the other night, um, I ate dinner at their house, and Betsy just cooked an unbelievable meal, okay? Well, I could be eating that meal and be thinking to myself, this is incredible. This corn or whatever the mix, what was it? Whatever it was, it was unbelievable. I've never felt so good about eating vegetables in my whole life. (laughs) And it's like, well, I could keep that to myself, and, you know, man, that's great. How is she blessed? She's blessed, I hope, when I say, Betsy, listen, I'm serious. This is unbelievable. This tastes so good. Thank you for taking the time to serve me and to make this meal. That means a really big deal to me, right? Guys, what we've got to do is grow as encouragers, and that's moving from when you have encouraging thoughts about people, spit it out, tell it to them, text it to them, whatever. Your pastors need to hear encouraging words from you. They need to hear encouraging words. Get them out of your head and, and in your mouth. Like when, when you hear a sermon and something really hits you or a class you're taking and that they're teaching or just something they do that you just really appreciate about them, share that with them. When God is working in your life or something the Lord is doing uh, that's just really awesome, share that with your pastors. Listen, they love to hear what God's doing in your lives. Share it with them. These are all really encouraging things. The truth is this, and it's a sad truth, but most pastors hear far more criticism than encouragement. That's the truth. In fact, most pastors only hear criticism. And I would say, man, Calvary Lahana, you people are too loving and joyful to be that kind of church. Let the love of Christ spill out in your encouragement of your pastors. Here's number three. Love their families well. Love their families well. A huge part of caring for your pastors is caring for their families It's a huge deal. And so I want to encourage you to be a church that loves your pastor's families really well. Think of ways that you can bless Sherry and you can bless Betsy and you can bless the Wit kids in different ways. In fact, even right now, I would just challenge you, what's a way, what's one way you can encourage or bless either Sherry or Betsy or the Wit's kids? You know, it doesn't have to be anything big. It could be anything. But you want them to feel really loved, don't you? Be a church that loves them really well. Ministry is hard, and one of the things we don't talk enough about is how hard it is, not only on the pastor, but on their wives and on their kids many times. And so the best, the healthiest churches love the heck out of their pastors and their families. Be that kind of church. Here's number four. Follow their leadership joyfully. Follow their leadership joyfully. Not begrudgingly. Don't be the critic of everything. Follow them joyfully. Listen again to Hebrews 13, 17, which I just read. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, 
For they are keeping a watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then again, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, it's not an accident that Matt and Scott are your pastors. The Lord, by His grace and kindness, have brought these two men to lead you. And I'm telling you guys, you are so blessed to have these two pastors. And I'm not just saying that. I mean that. I would love either of these guys, both of them, to pastor my family. I would love it. You are so blessed in that way. But here's what this means. Because God has placed them as your leaders, and you have two men who desire to love you and care for you and teach the truth to you, one of the greatest gifts you can give them is to follow their leadership and not fight them as they seek to lead you. Does that make sense? These are not two power-hungry guys. These are humble servants who love you, but they're also called to lead. And it's very hard. I see. I work with a lot of dying churches around the country, and I can tell you that one of the biggest things is you've got pastors who want to lead, but their people say, no, pastor, you're not leading us. And they do it in a million different ways. Listen, La Junta, you look around. I've been here for two days. Do you know how many people need Jesus here? And for those of you in Los Animas, how many people in Los Animas need Jesus? They're everywhere. And God has placed this church to be a lighthouse to reach those folks with the good news of the gospel. You've got two pastors who want to lead you in that mission. Don't fight them. Follow their leadership. And do it joyfully. Do it joyfully. Not only will it unify your church, it'll be life-giving to them. And then here's number five. Here's the last thing I'll say. Show them grace when they fall short. Show your pastor's grace when they fall short. Here's the truth, and we all know it, and these two guys know better than anyone. No pastor is perfect. No pastor is perfect. Every pastor is in need of God's grace just like everyone else. And so what this means practically is when Matt and Scott need you to show them grace, when they've blown it, they've done something, they're sorry, they feel bad about it, you either have the opportunity to show, be, be, hold a grudge and become bitter and angry toward them, or you can do what Christ has told us to do, and that's to forgive as we've been forgiven. You forgive your pastors. You show grace to your pastors in the same way that they are called to forgive and show grace to you. Isn't this what Ephesians 4.32 tells us to do? Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind, and here you can just write this down and look at it. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, here's the kicker, just as in Christ God forgave you. Who am I to ever hold a grudge against anybody when I have been shown the grace that God has shown me in Christ? And that's particularly true in the church. So Calvary, listen, God loves you. He loves this church. He's moving in this church. And he's going to continue to move in this church and through this church by his power and grace as you love one another really well, as you keep focused on Jesus, you stay rooted in his word, you care for your pastors, and you let your pastors care for you. And so this morning, what we get to do, and I'm going to invite Matt to come up, is we are now going to transition into our ordination time with Scott Johnson where we are really just affirming what God has already done in his life. 
That's really all we're doing today. And affirming his call to be a pastor, shepherd, uh, elder of this congregation. And so, Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you at this point. Whoops, sorry. There we go. Too many, Too many mics. mics in a small area. <laughs> That's right. Um, Scott, come on up, brother. And I will say, we, we all in the room also have a, a participation in this. Um, Scott, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. You are already familiar with them. Um, and what they are. Uh, for some of you who, who've never been to ordination before, uh, this should resemble something. Um, it should resemble a marriage ceremony um, in, in the vows that are taken, um, in the commitments that are made, um, and, and, and that's on purpose um, because these things are, are, or, are, are ordered in that kind of a way. There is a seriousness to marriage. There is also a seriousness to a church raising up a leader uh, to be an elder and what that elder's role is to the church, as well as the churches to, to that elder. So, Scott, I want to ask you a series of questions. Um, your answer is, I hope I do by God's grace. Um, and uh, for everybody else, uh, I think these will be up on the screen so you can read them along. Um, Scott, do you believe in one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and do you boldly declare Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church. I do by God's grace. Scott, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme final and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do by God's grace. Yeah, you're going to start crying. Uh, relying on the Holy Spirit, do you humbly submit to God's call on your life, committing yourself to God's mission, and fulfilling your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture? I do by God's grace. Do you promise to be, a faith, to be faithful in maintaining the truth of the gospel and the peace, unity, and purity of Calvary Church? I do by God's grace. Do you commit to pray for and seek to serve the people of Calvary Church with zeal, wisdom, patience, courage, and love. I do by God's grace. Do you promise to give and receive encouragement from and to be held accountable to your fellow elders, deacons, and the congregation of Calvary Church? I do by God's grace. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Do you commit yourself to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public, and will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? I do by God's grace. Do you commit yourself to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministry and resources of the church helping to shepherd God's flock for God's glory and in such a way that Calvary Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. I do by God's grace. Amen and praise the Lord. <laughs> now, church, um, for those of you who are members, I'd, I'd invite you to stand. Um, for those of you who are not members but for whom this is your church, and you are considering membership, or you consider Scott 
already to be your pastor and, and myself as well. Um, I'd like for you to answer these questions as well, um, this series of them. Uh, this is our commitment as a church together um, and, and our, our promising and our covenanting really um, to the eldership here and to Scott in particular. So church, please answer we do by God's grace if it is true. Do you, the members of Calvary Church, acknowledge and publicly receive Scott as one of your pastor elders and as a gift of Christ to this church? We do by God's grace. Do you commit to love him and pray for him and his wife, Sherry, in this important ministry? We do by God's grace. Do you commit to work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God? We do by God's grace. You all may be seated. Scott. Because we believe the Holy Spirit has gifted you to this ministry and made you a gift to this church. And you are a gift to this church and to me. And trust that we have not acted in haste but in prayerful dependence on Christ. It is our joy to lay hands on you and call upon God himself to seal you to this ministry for your life and his glory. Uh, Mark, want to come back up? Yep. Give that a sec. We just want to pray for you as we commission and mm -hmm. bless uh, the Lord for mm -hmm. what he's done. That's God, right. Lord God, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you, God, for what you have done here. Lord, for the gift of this brother, a friend, um, and, uh, and Lord, I just pray over him, Lord. I pray over this, this season of life for him, um, as well as for Sherry, Lord, that it would be a blessing. Mm -hmm. I pray, God, that as a church, that, that we would just love him and Sherry so incredibly well. Lord, that, that we uh, would serve uh, alongside of him and, and with him. And God, I pray um, as a fellow elder, Lord, that, that he and I might be united in our leadership. God, I pray over him, Lord, that you would bless him and watch over him. I pray, God, that your spirit would utterly fill him. Mm -hmm. And God, there would be no denying the gifting, the gifts, mm -hmm. the fruits of, of the spirit, the fruit of his, the spirit in his life, mm -hmm. Lord, as he would lead us, Lord, in joy and in love. God, I pray that you would encourage him, build him up, Lord. I pray that you mm -hmm. would use him well in this church and in this community for your glory. Mm -hmm. But this is my prayer. Yes, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, we do. We pray for power for our brother. We pray for encouragement. And we just recognize, Lord, you, uh, boy, you have had your hand on Scott since before he was in his mother's womb. And you uh, have brought him to this very moment. And it's not an accident. And so, Lord, I pray he would... Feel the assurance and the joy of knowing that you have called him to this ministry, you've equipped him for this ministry, and you will empower him for this ministry by your grace through the power of the Spirit. Lord, I pray for encouragement in his life when he's discouraged. I pray for strength when he feels weak. I pray for hope when he feels hopeless. And I pray for deep joy in the gospel and that he would just celebrate daily your amazing grace for him through Christ. I pray for Sherry, Lord, that she would experience the very same thing. God, would you just continue to grow their marriage, grow their love for one another as they seek to serve you and serve this incredible congregation, Lord Jesus. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Christ. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Love you, bud.